So as we start the service, I want to just encourage everyone to uh, look at the Bible app. Uh, there's some things there. I, I usually try to include some other things, like a devotion there. Um, but also, uh, there is some things that you might want to do with your kids. There's some videos there. Uh, Micah and the Armor of God is one that's on Right Now Media. And again, if you don't have Right Now Media, uh, just let us know. Send us a message through Office PVC Exchange. But it's just a great library of resources. But if you'd like to watch a show with your kids and have them watch that, or grandkids, I think you'd really like that, Micah and the Armor of God. And then there's another one called Theo, and it's about the Armor of God too, but it's a good children's program that I've watched and, and really enjoyed. So I think you might enjoy that watching with your family, uh, those programs. And there's a devotion of a five-day devotion there if you'd like to continue this conversation of the book of Ephesians, and especially the Armor of God. So as we start this message and look at this, we're going to continue to read Ephesians chapter 6 is where we'll begin. But I want to talk about the devil and his schemes. There's things that the devil is wanting to do um, that tries to destroy us and tries to put us in situations where we feel like we can't succeed. So I want to talk about his plan. What is his tactics right now? What are the things? How does he attack us? If you ever had a life application Bible, I used to have, I mean, I still have one, but I don't use it as frequently as I used to. Uh, I've been given other Bibles. Uh, my friend gave me a leather NIV Bible that I like to use a lot. But uh, there's a life application Bibles, and you can look at that, and there's a brief description of the devil's plan, and I want to share some of those with you today. The first thing that the devil tries to do is to uh, plan, his plan is to sow seeds of doubt. Doubt makes you question his word. And, and so, you know, the thing of it is, when doubt comes, you're, just, you're questioning God, whether he's real or whether he's true or, you know, what he's saying is truth. You question the word of God. You question what he says. And so doubt comes in, and you start doubting what is really there. And then so his, that's his one plan, to cause you to doubt the word of truth. The second is to cause discouragement. To try to get you discouraged, making you look at your problems instead of God. So you look at all the, the issues, right? You look at all the things. You look at all the situations. And this is what uh, reminds me of David, right? When David was going and he was uh, sharing, uh, taking a meal to his brothers and he saw this giant and, and all the army of Israelites were afraid and scared in the trench because they looked at the giant, right? They looked at Goliath and saw how big he was. Well, David, he didn't take that approach. He looked at how big God was, and he saw that God was bigger than his problem. And that's one thing that devil wants to do is cause you to be discouraged and feel like you can't overcome your problems because you're looking at the problem rather than the solution. The solution is God. He's always going to be bigger than the problems you face in this life. He's always got it figured out. And so we can end up being discouraged, and that's Satan's plan. If he can get you discouraged then he's won the battle. The next one is, is uh, diversion. A diversion tactic makes the wrong thing seem attractive so that you want them more than the right thing, right? So that the grass is greener always on the other side, right? The devil is like this, in the, you know, always inviting us to take this other option, the, maybe the quicker or the easier road or, or something that we really desire. And he's like, you can have it, you can have it. And we just take it, right? We take it. 
because it seems so valuable to us. I think if we were all honest, we'd want to be close to God. We want to be, uh, know our Heavenly Father. But a lot of times we get dis, uh, distracted because we look at the other things in this life and we're like, oh, oh, but I want this instead. I'd rather have this instead of God. And that gets us into problems. It gets us into issues. Satan's tactic is to cause you to look at those other things in life and think that they are more desirable to have than having a relationship with God. The next one is defeat. Many of us have experienced this one. Or I'm sure we've experienced them all, but the devil likes to make you feel defeated like you can't go on, you can't do anything. If you feel like a failure, you won't even try. If you feel like you're a failure, you won't even try to do anything. You won't try to, you know, go in advance. You know, the thing that the devil wants to do is to tempt you to sin. And once he gets you to sin, then he wants to get you to feel bad about that sin. Even after you've said, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, I've failed, I've sinned against you. Even after we confessed our sin to God, devil comes back and says, you remember what you did back then? You remember how you were? You remember your life the way it was before you came to Christ? What makes you think you're not going to be like that again? And so we feel defeated because the devil keeps throwing up these things in our past. When we've asked for forgiveness of those things, it's as far as the east is to the west. You know that? Infinitely line. Mr. Barrett taught me this lesson in math high school and geometry. When you say I have an infinite line, it goes that way for eternity and it goes this way to eternity. They never touch each other. East and west will never touch. That's what the devil wants you to feel is defeated. He wants to get you down so low that you feel like you can never get up, that you won't even try. And the last tactic of the devil is to cause delay. He wants you to put things off. And we experience this as Christians many times. Oh, I should pray more, but oh, well, it's just I'm too busy to pray. Or oh, you know, I, I should read my Bible more. I should get in a habit of reading my Bible like we're trying to encourage all of us to do during this year is to read the book of the, you know, the books of the New Testament. But the devil will say, well, you don't have time for that. You don't have time for church. You don't have time for fellowship or go to a life group or other things. You don't have time for those things, right? You just delay it. And then when it comes to witnessing or sharing about your faith, it's like, it's okay. You can share that next week. It's not a big deal, right? The devil wants you to delay what you know you're supposed to do. This is one of his tactics. So these five Ds, I think, capture a lot of what the devil is after and what he's trying to do to us. You know, Jesus tells us he comes to steal, to kill, destroy. And I think he tries to use these tactics to go against us so that we feel like we can't. Yet there's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. As we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. Now today, we'll move around a little bit. So, you know, keep that typing or that, if you want to just follow the notes, that'll be fine. And the YouVersion Bible app, that'd be great. But I just wanted to give you a warning. But we will stay most of the time in Ephesians chapter 6. So verse 10 and 11, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. If you were here last week and we talked about his power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in the same power that is in us as Christians. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in me. It's in you. Us that choose to follow Christ, his Holy Spirit is in us. And so we can have boldness and strength, not by our own power, but by God. 
His power is being displayed in us. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Our attitude, our will, if you hear heart in Scripture, it's talking about this will. It's talking about this motivation that we have inside ourselves, that we're determined to go a certain direction. This is the heart we should have for God. The will in us should be towards Christ. We should stand firm in Christ to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then in verse 11 it says, put on the full armor of God. Notice how it says full armor of God. So as we talk about this, and I'm sure this is a story that we pretty much know, and, and maybe you can recite the different pieces, but what it says, put the full armor of God, you can't leave out pieces of your armor. You need to have all these on you and be ready for the battle that's at hand. In other words, if you leave the helmet off, you're exposed. If you leave your shield behind, you're exposed. If you leave your belt off, well, you're probably going to drop your drawers. <laughs> I didn't plan it. That just came to me. <laughs> it's pretty funny, though, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, some people are just shaking their head like, oh, gee. Uh, <laughs> So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again, the devil wants to scheme against each one of us. You know, that's the reason why we see pastors in this, in this world that follow Christ and they have a really good run. They do really good things. And yet Satan comes and dis, you know, destroys their witness. It destroys their, their marriages or their situation. And it causes other people to fall. Because why? Because the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy that's why we got to be on our guard, all of us. We need to be praying for each other. But we need to be battled up and ready to go. We need to be putting the full armor of God on. So every piece of this armor we need to have on us so that we're ready. Now I think that uh, as we look at this, uh, Paul was probably looking at the Roman soldier and taking a lot of these ideas, these thoughts that he had that God used to kind of share this. He was looking at the outfit of the Roman soldier. But as these pictures, I think, go along with it, these pictures of this night on the screen, as we go through these, these are things to help us to remember what we need to have in the spiritual warfare that we face so that we can go against the devil's schemes. So that when, we're, when the devil tries to attack us, we're safe. We're in a safe place because of what God has done for us. We're protected. And we're ready for battle. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Boy, we, we really always should be mindful of this. When you have an issue with somebody else, it could be in the church, it could be outside the church, your fight isn't against that person. That person should be looked at as, as, a, as maybe a victim in this situation. Maybe they're going through some things and you just need to pray for them and be a support to them. Maybe the real battle that you're facing is a spiritual battle that's taking in the place of your life and their life. And you need to be aware of that and be praying up for that. Because I think the battles we face so many times are spiritual battles that we face. The enemy is trying to cause a wedge. He's trying to do something that will harm us as Christians. And we need to be on our knees praying and asking God for his protection for all of us. 
for all of us. Therefore, verse 13, put on the four over God so that when the devil, the, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. So let's look at the first one. Stand then firm, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So, you know, we wear a belt and, and uh, Roman soldiers or other soldiers would wear a belt. It holds, it holds things together, right? Uh, I was joking about my britches, but my britches have more support when I wear a belt, right? I'm able to tuck my shirt in and it holds my shirt in. Here's the thing. The reason why God starts or Jesus you know, through the Holy Spirit, reveals this to Paul. And he's mentioning truth as being the first thing. It's truth is, is something we all need. But not very many of us want truth. Right? When we talk about truth, yeah, I want to know that. Well, to a certain point. You know, I don't want to be maybe sharing the truth of who I really am, Right? I don't want to share all my sin. I don't want to share all the baggage, the damaged goods that I have here in my heart and in my life. I want to, I'll share part of that truth, right? But if we really want truth, we will humble ourselves and allow truth to hit us and accept it and move out of the darkness into the light so that we can see. When we build ourselves with truth, that should be the motivation that we should go after is seek truth. Not listen to gossip, not listen to other things, but what is truth? What is, what is the real truth here? Because if we seek truth, we'll all head in the right direction, right? Jesus was sharing so many scriptures about truth. I was watching this video, maybe some of you don't know who this is, but Kenneth Green, he used to be a singer in the 70s, had some really good songs. And I was watching this YouTube video of him, just hearing his testimony, and he was talking about the fact that he would check out all these other religions before he became a Christian, uh, checking out Muslim and, and, and Buddhism and all these other religions and how they would talk about Jesus and talk about how Jesus was a good person, how he did this, how he did that, good teacher, good man, did good things, but they missed the mark on telling who he really was. And so he was like, you know what? Since everybody else mentioned Jesus, Maybe I should just go to Jesus and see who Jesus really was. So as he looked at Jesus and he heard the scriptures that talked about him telling the truth, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's like, maybe I need to trust Jesus with the truth. There are so many passages as we think about Pilate. And when he went before Pilate, Jesus said what? He said, he said those that hear truth hear my voice. Those that are on the side of truth hear my voice. And then Pilate asks this question, what is truth? What is truth? Because Pilate was in that absolute, right? Or Jesus was dealing with absolute. Pilate was dealing with relative truth. This is my truth. That's your truth. But what is the truth? Jesus says, those that are on the side of truth hear my voice. Another passage that goes along with that is... This, this scripture where it talks about that Jesus says this. Uh, he says in John chapter 8, verse 45 through 46, Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? 
if I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? So Jesus is facing all these Sadducees and Pharisees, and they're accusing him of things, and he's saying, yet because I tell you the truth. Jesus is speaking the truth. He's saying, yet I tell you the truth, but you don't believe me. What else can I do? I'm telling you exactly who I am. I'm telling you exactly why I'm here. And yet you don't believe me. Because they don't want to believe. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do do we want to believe truth? Do we want to seek truth? Are we truth seekers? This is what separates us from other religions. We're not brainwashing anybody. We should never brainwash anybody because it's truth that sets us free. That there is one God that he chose to send his son Jesus Christ to save all mankind, not just a certain sect, not just a certain part, but all the world, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Jesus is saying, I'm standing right here. Can you prove anything I've done? And they couldn't prove anything that he had done. He had done nothing wrong. He was innocent. Even at his trial at that late hour when they were going to crucify him when they're going to try to sentence him to death but yet they didn't have the power to do so so they had to turn him over to the Romans they had false witnesses come and share this terrible lie of who they said he was and they totally missed the mark on who Jesus on who Jesus was if I am telling you the truth why don't you believe me? One of the things that I, a little story, there was a captain of a ship who looked into the dark night and saw a light in the distance, right? Immediately he told his single man to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. He promptly received a reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Of course, this infuriated the captain, so he sent another message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Soon another reply was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman, third class Jones. The captain sent a final message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The reply was this. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Some of us are, are traveling in the dark night and we think we know what truth is because we look at it from our perspective. We look at it how we want to see it, right? We see it as I'm a good enough person. I don't really need to pray to Jesus as much, or I don't need to rely on the gospel as much. I, I, I'm a good person. I, I have good works. I have done good things with my life. And maybe there's things in us that we don't like about ourselves, but we don't want it to be exposed either. There's sins that are here that we keep quiet, that we don't share with people. Secret sins, right? Sins that, that you do in your quiet space, but you, you don't really share it with others because you're afraid of condemnation and you're afraid of being seen out. You're afraid that God's going to do something in you to, to remove that sin. And maybe you like that sin. Maybe you like that. And you want to continue to do that. But you're in the darkness and you don't see what truth really is. Because you're not asking. 
You're not seeking. You're not looking for it. The lighthouse is there because there's rocks below. Dangerous, danger is all around this island. And the lighthouse is to be this beacon to shine the light so that no one will be succumbed to those rocks and damage their ship. What the captain of the battleship didn't know is that there was danger ahead. Do you know there's danger ahead? Do you know that when you let your sin reign in your body, it's not healthy? Do you know it causes you to do things that you typically wouldn't do? Maybe you're short with your family. Maybe you're more angry. Maybe you're more irritated with things. Maybe you need to go to Christ and say, God, forgive me of my sin. Help me to confess my sin to somebody I trust that I can have an accountability person in my life, that I have somebody to support me. But Lord, I want to seek your truth. I want to be living my life with your truth around my waist, holding everything else up because I don't want to seek a lie. I want to seek truth in my life. I want to be truthful in the way I do things. I don't want to be deceitful or conniving or trying to craft something else. I want to be true to you and to everyone around me. Next, we look at the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 14, we'll read this part with the breastplate of righteousness in place. See, this breastplate of righteousness, it's not something that we can obtain. It's not something that we can do ourselves. When we tried to live right by the Ten Commandments, we would always fail. This is what the book of Romans is about. So if you'd like to read more about that, I'd encourage you to read the book of Romans. And I'm sure we'll do that this year, is read the book of Romans. But the whole idea is that the law that was given, none of us as mankind could live up to it. And there were simple commands, most of them. But yet we still rebelled against God and we could not live up to those. We'd always fail. So the real power of the law was to show us that we would never measure up. This is what Paul talks about in the book of Romans. That the basic truth of the law was given so that we could all see that we're sinners. That we all understand that we're on the same, all of us on the same level playing field. That none of us are righteous. None of us are righteous. But then came Jesus, right? Jesus came. And as Jesus said in the scripture I shared in John, there was no blame in him. There was nothing, no sin in him. They could prove nothing against him because he was innocent. He was totally innocent. He lived a righteous life. And so he became the perfect lamb to take our place because he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the, the, the Ten Commandments. He fulfilled the law of Moses. He honored God with his life. And so because of that, he died and rose again. And now we, we are the benefits like we talked about last week. We have this gift of righteousness. I have this gift of being right. You know what it's like? I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I, before I rededicated my life to Christ, it was like, how could I ever get back to a clean slate? I've done so many things wrong. I've, I've put anger and hatred to, towards you, God. I've, I've disrespected you. I've dishonored you. I've done things towards you and to the people that you love. How could I ever be redeemed? How could I ever have a fresh start? And this is the beauty of what Jesus did for us. 
is that his righteousness is now passed on to us that believe in Jesus. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, not only do you receive the Holy Spirit, but you are righteous in God's eyes. Not by your own works, but by faith in Jesus. And so I stand before God righteous. Can you believe that? That you stand before us righteous. I don't, you know, part of me, like letting Satan work in my mind, like, well, I don't deserve that. Yeah, I don't deserve it, but it's been given as a gift to me. You know what that does for me? It wants me to continue that work. And in the sense that I want to keep that up, I want to protect my heart. I want to protect the things that this, I care about this. This is important to me. I want to continue to do good. I want to continue to live my life with this righteousness. I want to continue to seek what is God wants in my life and do the right thing. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. So this breastplate is to protect your motivation, the, the heart that you have. This righteousness is to protect this, to keep it safe, to keep your vital organs spiritually safe so that you can stand under the devil's schemes, understanding that, that I'm righteous before God. I'm righteous before God. And so enemy, devil, you don't have any power over me because in God's eyes, I'm righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespassed or trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, talking about Adam's sin. And when Adam sinned, it condemned us all, right? We were all condemned because of Adam's sin against God. And we've all sinned against God from that point. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all the people, for all people. So we have this. In verse 19 it says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So again, just to clarify, you're right, this righteous blessed plate is not yours in the sense that you did something to earn it. It is yours because it was a gift of Christ that he took your place, that I'm righteous in God's eyes. What power, what power is displayed in that? Amazing power that I have been redeemed. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm reunited with God because of this righteousness. Before, I could never, and as we talk next week about the high priest, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he was God's representation to go and be the person for the people. And only he could go into the holy place where God's presence was. And Jesus became that for us. That he became our righteousness. So that we can walk before God now. That we can have that connection with Jesus and God the Father. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. One of the interesting things about the Roman soldiers, what they would do is that they actually take and put pieces of, of, of like metal, like nails, or they'd take pieces of bones and drive them into their sandals so that they would have cleats. They'd be using a, a cleat. So when they would walk around, that they would have sure footing. 
so they would be able to take their stand. When the battles came, when they were able to take that defensive posture, they had their full armor of God, or when they would have these cleats so they could stand firm in their, where they were standing in their foundation. And so we have the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we stand upon. We stand up because of what Jesus did through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he died on a cross. When we look at this cross, it's a powerful thing that should motivate us to remember what Jesus did. That Jesus loved us. He cared for us. He came into this world and he led a life that was perfect. And then he died upon that cross and then he was risen again. And what does Jesus tell us to do? To take up our cross and to live for him. So the gospel, this message that Jesus came and died for us, that Jesus rose again, he's not dead anymore. That Jesus has an opportunity for us to inherit eternal life. That we can stand firm in that. This knowledge that I have sure footing, it's not by my power, it's the sure footing of knowing that I can take my stand and I can put my, my, my cleats into the ground and I can take the, the hits the devil's trying to throw at me because I know the gospel is true. I understand what happened. The knowledge that God has control of this situation. I'm standing on the word of God. I'm standing on the gospel message of Jesus. And what does it say here? The gospel of peace. Peace. What does this mean, peace? Well, there's a story of a painting. This guy wanted a painting of peace. So he asked for people to turn in some of these paintings. Then he got down to two paintings of what would, what would capture the word peace. And so as they un unveiled the first one, it was this uh, beautiful lake of tranquility. Almost like glass, just a perfect, wonderful lake and beautiful surroundings and everything was calm and you just felt like it was a Bob Ross painting, right? Or maybe there was a little cabin over there in the woods. Me and my son one day just watched Bob Ross. I said, this is just relaxing right here, just watching him paint. Let him talk to you. He'd have little conversations with himself. He's like, oh, a little tree right here. But anyhow, so that, they thought, Wow, that's a, that's, a great, that's a great one. But then the next painting was revealed. Darkness. Clouds rumbling in. Lightning striking in different areas. A cliff. Rocky water. Rocks underneath. A branch coming out of that cliff. Where you saw a nest with eggs. And a small bird taking her wings over the eggs. Not worried, not scared, just protecting her eggs. And everybody said, that is a picture of peace. In this life, we'll have problems. In this life, we will have trouble, right? But we should take courage because Jesus has overcome. Jesus is our peace. The knowledge that we are saved, the knowledge that we've been spared, the knowledge that we don't have to question, does, does, does God really love you? He, he poured himself out and he stretched his arms. I remember as a kid that one of the things that hit me the most as I would look at a painting of him on the cross, I was like, Jesus, how? Why? 
But when you really look at Jesus on that cross, you can't help except the fact that if Jesus was willing to lay down his life, that he loves you. That if God, if he's truly God, and he came down in this space, lived a perfect life, and then laid it all out for us, how can you question God's love for you anymore? How can you question what God has done? See, when I see Jesus on that cross, I see that he loves me. He cares for me. There's hope in the cross. There's power in the cross. And then on that third day when he rose again, there's power in that resurrection. That resurrection power is being displayed in the church every day. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't recognize it. But it's that peace that no matter what the world may throw at you, no matter the devil and his schemes, that you can, the world on, on the outside, maybe even inside, you can feel a little scared, you can feel a little, but you have this peace down inside that you know God is in control of this situation. God's got this. And that's where you find peace holding on to the gospel and knowing where you stand. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has come, become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am a, in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of my brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, the, Paul's saying because he's sharing the gospel, because he's living out the gospel, he, people, that are, people that are holding him hostage in this space where he's in prison, they know who Paul is. They got to know Paul. They, sought the, they saw the truth in Paul. They saw who Paul was about, and yet... They understood that he was a prisoner, not because of anything Paul had done wrong, but because he was a follower of Jesus. And so what is Paul saying here? He's saying, even though I've been having problems and I'm put in prison, this has just encouraged others to go out and advance the gospel. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by problems, don't we? When we feel the enemy attacking us, Sometimes we just want to hunker and put like a, be an ostrich and stick our head in the ground, right? Um, but the thing is, God's saying, I, I can use this. I can use this to advance the word to other people. And that should encourage us, that other people can be encouraged by our faith in the storms of life, in the hard times, in the difficulties that we face, that they can see the peace that we have because of the gospel message that's being displayed. In Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. This helmet of salvation we should put on and acknowledging the fact that we're saved. That the, the enemy likes to attack our thoughts, right? He likes to get us to discuss and, and talk. And, and just, just the, he wants to plant these thought ideas. Really, it's just questions, really. When you're tempted, it's not really like he's trying to force you to do anything, is he? He's, he's tempting you with this. He's saying things, and sometimes he says half-truths. But what did Jesus do to deal with this guy? What did Jesus do? 
goes along with what we'll share a little bit later. He'll, he'll share the fact about it, it is written. See, the helmet of salvation is this knowledge that you're saved, that to understand that you're living for a different purpose. You have a mission now. You're saved. You have salvation. You're free from the old life you used to live, the old person you were. You're not that anymore. You're saved. You're different now. You're a new creation in Christ. When we have salvation, we're able to experience this newness of life that I know that I'm different. I don't have to go back to the old life. I don't have to listen to these thoughts. I don't have to give in to Satan. He has no power over me. I have salvation. I'm free. So with that head knowledge, it protects our mind that we trust that salvation, that we're free because of what Christ did for us. Through salvation that we know we don't have to go back to our old way of life, that we don't have to do the old things we used to do. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. I don't have to face wrath. You don't have to face the wrath of God because you're saved. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, if you've acknowledged your sin before God and say, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, you're saved. And then walk in that salvation now. Why are you going to let the devil torment you anymore and try to get you to do things you know you shouldn't do when you know you have salvation at hand? Because the helmet and the Romans didn't just cover their head, but it was an adornment, right? They had that red thing over their head that separated them from other soldiers, right? Oftentimes they would have some type of thing to signify their positions, right? And how they served. We have salvation. Sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the word of God. This is the only weapon that we mention here. So the idea here is that all these uh, armor is to defend. It's to stand up against. It's, it's to uh, understand that these, these things that God has given you are to protect you. That you should always have these on because you want to protect yourself from the enemy. And when Satan throws things at you, you use your sword. Now, Romans, it was a short sword. It wasn't like a long sword like I have in the picture here in a little bit. But it was a short sword. And then sometimes you would have a dagger, right? But the sword, it, what, what Paul is saying, the sword is, just like I mentioned, when Jesus is tempted in the scriptures, he, he says, it is written. Jesus knew the scriptures. When he said, May, turn the stone into bread, Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responds with a passage of truth. He uses God's word to defend his position, and we are too. This is why we find power in remembering scripture and having certain scripture that help us keep doing what God wants us to do. 
whether it's Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or whether it's uh, he will never leave you nor forsake you, or nothing is impossible with God. These passages that we love and cherish, they should motivate us and help us when we are fighting that battle. And if we don't know the answer, we should seek the answer so that we can properly defend ourselves and give some, uh, you know, have a weapon to use against his attacks. In verse 12, I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The problem is in our world today is we want to see relative truth. So whatever we feel like truth is, we'll just stick with that, right? But God is saying through Jesus that there is an absolute truth. There's one way. I didn't say that. Jesus says that. So what are we going to do about it? When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, did he really mean it? Yeah. Yeah, that's Jesus. Jesus said that. When you go against, you know, go against the truth, you're living in darkness. Satan wants to live in darkness because he doesn't want his deeds to be fully exposed. But one day, all of his deeds will be exposed. And like I said last week, the devil is not in control of hell. God is in control of hell. The devil will be sent to hell one day. He will be judged, convicted, and thrown into a fire-like pit. And all those that decide to join his side will go right there with him. We can't escape that truth. That's not my truth. That's his truth. That's what the scripture teaches us. But there's hope. There's life. The devil wants us to be deceived. He doesn't want the world to know the truth of the gospel. Lastly, we have the shield in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I thought this was interesting that Roman soldiers or other soldiers probably figured this out, that you could dip your, your shield into water. And if you had flaming arrows going after you, you would dip it in water. And that way you, that when they would hit your shield, they would go out because the water would soak or put out the flames. I thought this was really interesting and, and how the enemy will come at you and you would hold this shield and this shield would be a big shield, not just like a little round one, but this Roman soldiers that had these shields that would cover their body, they'd be curved in, that way they would cover themselves. And when they lifted up their shield, they could hide underneath that shield and, and take on the hits. The enemy is trying to hurt them in some way, right? Attack them. But the shield protects them. It keeps them safe. So these fiery darts hit it, and as they go out one by one, they're safe. It doesn't mean it's not a little scary, right? It doesn't mean it's not like, you know, I'd be scared, darts coming my way. I'd be a little tetrified, but you're holding that shield, and you're protecting. This is where our faith comes in. When we hold to our faith, and we trust the Word of God, and we trust what Christ did in us, then these fiery darts that are thrown our way, we can hold up our shield in faith, believing and trusting in what we know and what we've seen in Christ. And the shield of faith protects us. 
It's this faith that we have that no matter what we're going against in this life, that we have Jesus at our side. And his Holy Spirit is inside of each one of us, giving us the ability to withstand the attack. You notice how this isn't either to, like sometimes we think we need to go out. No, what a soldier would do if arrows are coming, you hold your ground, you hold up your shield, and you just hold, right? You don't attack in that moment. You hold it up. Then after the errors are done, then you move with the gospel and you move with your feet and you carry your armor or you have your armor on as you move forward and take steps forward. And then as the errors come again, you get ready, right? You hunker down and you let the shield, your faith, hold. What I think Paul is trying to convey is that this life of being a Christian is not easy. It was never meant to be easy. This life is going to be difficult as a Christian. It's going to be harder to be a Christian sometimes than it is to be an atheist. Why? Why is that? Because, again, it goes back to what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to take you down because he knows you're trying to live for God. And he's going to try to do anything in his power to stop you. I don't know about many of you, but I'm sure some of us have played video games where you have the armor, you have the shield, you have the sword, you have these things. And I think it's just, isn't it cool how God used Paul those years ago knowing that many of us would play video games that have all those things. Now, I'll tell you that there's many games that I've played that I don't like to do the defense. I want to be all offense, right? But I get slashed and slashed and cut and cut and, you know, when you have good armor, you don't have to worry about that. In the spiritual realm, we have armor to put on. And it will protect us. It will hold us. It will keep us safe. Let's put on the full armor of God. Let us be ready for battle. Galatians 6, to verse 16 Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. Again, it's, it's not something we can do on our own. When we take this armor and put it on, these are the things that God has given us. I take his righteousness as my own, and I am right before God. It's amazing that that's possible, but it is. I am right before God because of what Christ did. I put the helmet of salvation on because I know I'm saved. I have this knowledge that I'm back united with God once again. I put my shoes on because I know that this gospel is what I stand on, and it's the peace that holds me together in the sense that I can stand tall for him. And then I have the belt of truth because I want to be a truth seeker. I don't want to live behind lies. I don't want to be a live behind falsehoods. I want to live in truth. And I have the shield of faith that protects me from those flaming darts. And I have God's word as my sword. And I can fight against the devil because he is the one that justified me. As we close this time, I can't help but just think about the last two verses there 
in Ephesians. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always. In other words, be watchful. Watch out. The devil is going to try like a prowling lion just to try to take you out. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak with words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mysteries of the gospel. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I know this message today was mainly for people that are Christians. Maybe you're tired of being defenseless. Maybe you're tired of being, you know, just kind of chewed up and spit out by the world. Because all these things that the world has to offer, they'll be good for a period of time, but they'll leave a void in your life like nothing else. Maybe you want a connection with your Heavenly Father and you want to be a part of something that's real and it's true. I invite you today to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you don't have to go be defenseless anymore. That you can put the full armor of God on. That you can take his righteousness. You can take his salvation and you can take his gospel and apply it to your life. And you can be protected by his shield and by his word. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, would you pray this prayer with me? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, there's somebody here today that doesn't know you. I pray that they would accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. Saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been rebelling against you, Lord. And Lord, you love me because of the cross. You love me because you paid a debt I could not pay myself. And Lord, I accept that gift of life that you've given. Lord, I want your salvation. I want to be righteous. I want to stand on your gospel, knowing that what you say is true, that I can hold up my faith and it will protect me because I'm putting my faith and trust in you. And I want to be a truth seeker. What what is really true in this world? What is real? And Lord, help us to be open to that word. Help me to embrace it as a follower of yours. Lord, if anybody's prayed that prayer like that or something like that, that they would give their heart and life to you, that they would acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would pray that prayer and accept you and receive you today, whether it's here or online or wherever, Lord, that they would put their trust in you. Lord, help us to celebrate that. Help them, help others to share that with somebody else, that they would let somebody else know that. And Lord, I pray today also for us Christians that, that we would be equipped, that we'd put the full armor that you have for us on, that we wouldn't allow weak areas to where the devil can attack us, but we are ready to go for battle. 
And we know the enemy is going to try, but we're ready. We're prepared because of our faith in you. Give us strength today as we move into this time of communion, Lord. Bless it, guide and direct us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Paul writes this later, years later. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also have passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Does somebody not have a communion cup? There's deacons in the back. If you'd like to take communion, just raise your hand. There's two right here close to the middle section here. Anybody else? Just raise your hand, keep it lifted up and they'll get a communion cup to you. Sorry, I didn't do that sooner. We got one here in the middle too. So, yeah, right here in the middle. Jack, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Anybody else? Yeah, there's one there. Okay. Yep, one in the front there. You know, Jesus, well, Paul even says this as he continues on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about examining ourselves. This is my challenge for us today. Do we have the full armor of God on? Is there any part of our life that we're weak in, that we're exposed to an enemy's attacks? We need to look at that and say, am I trusting my salvation in Christ? Am I putting on Christ's righteousness as a breastplate? Am I, am I doing these things so I'm ready for battle? Is my faith holding? Am I ready for battle? Let's examine our life because we don't want to let the enemy attack us. I mean, the enemy is going to attack us regardless. I shouldn't say that. The enemy will always attack us. But it's how we respond to those attacks that matter. So Jesus took the bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. And Jesus took the cup. This is the new covenant. This is the new promise that we have. That I have this promise now that I can hold on to. That the blood that Jesus spilt on the cross, that as that blood poured on the ground, that was the sacrifice. That was the Lamb of God paying a debt I could not pay. This is the new promise that we have in Christ that I don't have to deal with my old sin. I don't have to deal with my old self anymore. I have Jesus now. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old way is gone. The new way has come. This is this new covenant. This is the new promise that I hold on to, that you can hold on to. Jesus said, this is my new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everything that you do. Just be with us this morning. Thank you for this time that we gathered together today. Thank you for all that's here today. We pray, Lord, that you'll just help us to be ready for battle, that you'll just give us courage to fight those battles, to trust in you. In your wonderful, precious name, I pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing a, a song together.
Thank you, Brooke.